Thanks, Jeff. Uh, it is great to be able to connect with you uh, in this way, although it's a different way. And because I get to visit this church regularly, uh, I'm, miss, I'm missing seeing your faces. Uh, there's a lot of faces that I know well in this church, friends that I have in this church, um, the rest of my family that goes here, Jeff's family that's here, so I'm not seeing my grandchildren right now. Uh, so it is, in one sense, bittersweet. Uh, joy to connect with you this way, but do, boy, I'd rather us be in person. And, and if you're a guest, uh, Jeff's already addressed you, but I'd, I'd encourage you, and he didn't ask me to say this, come check this place out. Because while you can experience certain things um, through this, this kind of uh, forum, uh, it's better to be here in person. And if you come here, you're going to find people that love Christ, uh, are devoted to Christ. They'll love, you're going to find people that love one another, and you're going to find people that love this city. And they have a real burden and heart for this city. They're part of this city. Um, and so the love you have for the city, they share with you. And they're so glad to be here. So it is good to be with you today. Um, we want to get right into our text for the sake of time. So if you have your Bibles with you, uh, you can open up to Ecclesiastes chapter 5. You're probably going to read in the comfort of couches, uh, maybe still in bed even. Uh, but open up your Bibles to Ecclesi- Ecclesiastes chapter 5. And this is a wonderful book. We did a series in this book as well back at our home church. Um, it's a challenging book. There's no doubt that Ecclesiastes is a challenging book. It gets right, it gets right in our face about what we're living for. Uh, it talks about all the normal realities of life. And you'll see the phrase in Ecclesiastes over and over again, uh, under the sun. And you'll just find that repeated in one place and another place and another place. It's just, it's a theme of the book. It's life under the sun. Um, and what it does is it takes us through life's many experiences, even death. So there's a great chapter that talks about death, even in Ecclesiastes. So it really encompasses all of real life that we typically experience. So it's a challenging book. It's also a rescuing book. And what I want you to do is see God's grace in this text and actually throughout this book. It's what does God want to do for us in a teaching in Ecclesiastes. And, and really what it does, I think, is Ecclesiastes pops the balloon of delusional thinking. And I don't know about you, but I've had delusional thinking in my past. I had delusional thoughts growing up uh, that I was going to be actually uh, maybe a professional basketball player. Now, you can't see me probably real well right now, but you can probably tell enough that I didn't have a sober assessment of my height uh, nor my talent. Um, so I had certain delusional thinkings, delusional dreams. Uh, and if Ecclesiastes pops those dreams, uh, the delusional ones, uh, that there's anything of real true satisfaction and real meaning in life apart from life with God and knowing God, wrong pursuits, really do disappoint. The Apostle John, and we're going to get to Ecclesiastes, the Apostle John captures this very well in 1 John chapter 2, verses 16 through 17. He says this, for all, and hear this, for all that is in the world, all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and pride in possessions is not from the Father, but is from the world. And here's the point. And the world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. So the exhortation today is don't live just under the sun, but live 
under God. I've entitled today's message, Getting Free from Money's Lies. Getting Free from Money's Lies. And here's the main point. The gospel, the gospel, which is the good news that Christ came to die for our sins. So that's the gospel. He died for your sins and my sins. Uh, The gospel liberates us, so it sets us free from being ruled by money to enjoy God and to enjoy what he provides. So, Ecclesiastes chapter 5, beginning in verse 10, I'm reading from the English Standard Version. He who loves money will not be satisfied with money, nor he who loves wealth with his income. This also is vanity. When goods increase, they increase who eat them. And what advantage has their owner but to see them with his eyes? Sweet is the sleep of a laborer, whether he eats little or much. But the full stomach of the rich will not let him sleep. There is a grievous evil that I've seen under the sun. Riches were kept by their owner to his hurt. And those riches were lost in a bad venture. And he is a father of a son, but he has nothing in his hand. As he came from his mother's womb, he shall go again, naked as he came, and shall take nothing for his toil that he may carry away in his hand. This, is all, this also is a grievous evil. Just as he came, so shall he go. And what gain is there to him who toils for the wind? Moreover, all his days he eats in darkness, in much vexation, and sickness, and anger. Behold, what I have seen to be good and fitting is to eat and drink and find enjoyment in all the toil with which one toils under the sun the few days of his life that God has given him, for this is his lot. Everyone also to whom God has given wealth and possessions and power to enjoy them and to accept accept his lot and rejoice in his toil, this is the gift of God. For he will not much remember the days of his life because God keeps him occupied with joy in his heart. Let's pray for the blessing of the reading of God's word and now the preaching of God's word. God, we thank you for these words that you inspired to be written for an audience then and to be written for an audience now. And Holy Spirit, why we are dispersed right now, you are not limited by how we are dispersed. Your presence can be everywhere and everywhere powerfully and personally. So I pray for your personal and powerful presence to be with all those that are listening right now. That, God, they would sense that they're being addressed by you and cared for by you and instructed by you. And, Lord, therefore, give us ears to hear and help me to serve these folks whom you love. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we uh, all relate to money every day, don't we? Uh, Whether we have a little or whether we have a lot. It is a daily reminder, a daily reality. I know for me, um, when I got married, the first 15 years of my marriage, my wife and I have been married for 41 years now, uh, but the first 15 years of our marriage, money was a constant, if not a daily pressure. Um, it It was unrelenting pressure. And it did, at times, put pressure on our marriage. Um, My son's here. He knows. I think my children have said they weren't aware of that pressure. Uh, They didn't feel poor growing up, but we were poor. Um, And actually, monthly bill paying was a stressful exercise. 
because the ends never met. Uh, what our need was never sort of met the resources that we had. Um, and it wasn't that I, uh, I, wasn't, I wasn't anxious over the trial, but I was angry. Um, I didn't enjoy this trial of constant pressure that was felt unrelenting. Um, so I wasn't anxious about God's provision. I'd seen God's provision in my life, but I was angry. So I think on a monthly basis, there was a, there was a point of anger in my life of, God, why? Uh, I was working hard. I was a Christian school teacher. So it wasn't that I wasn't working hard. I worked through the summers uh, and got jobs that way. It just, those jobs didn't pay very well. And I had a growing family. Um, so there was that kind of pressure. And, and I think, to be honest, I resented that pressure. Um, and wanted relief from it. But I want to say this. God used that trial for my good. And to this day, I'm grateful for how he used that trial. It still has good effects. Even though I'm not under the same pressures, there's things I learned through that uh, that have been very helpful in my life, very actually steadying in my life. Um, So even for a crisis like this, um, there's things that God's done that helps me through something like this. Because the coronavirus that we're going through, it does present a real health concern, right? For some of you, that may be your biggest concern. It's, will I be safe? Um, what if I catch it? Uh, maybe you're already at health risk. And, and so the health side of this is a great concern for you. But for some, the concern might be it's financial. And you're like, how long is this going to last? What's going to be the impact down the road? And, and what might still spin out of control, seemingly out of control in this. And, and that might be a real challenge for you. Uh, the government can't just keep writing us checks. Um, and they've written some checks, and maybe you've benefited from that, but eventually those things sort of have a shelf life. You're like, well, what's going to happen on the other side? Um, what parts of the economy get affected that might affect me that I have nothing to do with? Um, I'm good at my job. Uh, I have a job, but there's other factors that impact that, and that can cause us, what, to be anxious. Um, And it can be a real challenge. Now, for some of you, you didn't need the coronavirus to go through a health challenge. You already had it. Uh, You didn't need the coronavirus to go through a financial challenge. You already were in it. For some, you might say, I had bigger trials before this. Um, And I trust and hope that you felt God's care for you in those trials. I believe God wants to care for us in this trial, and, and God's good in these things, even as we're learning to understand uh, him better in it. But I think in trials and in pressure and in anxiety, particularly financial anxiety, money talks, right? It talks. And what it does is it makes empty promises. It lies. It lies that it will provide satisfaction. So if I have enough, I'll be satisfied. It lies about giving us security, You know, maybe we don't want to be rich. We just want to be safe. We just want to be secure. So we know I can retire. And I'm getting closer to retirement. And and just think, oh, my retirement fund just got hit. I'm going to work a little bit longer. Now, I actually don't anticipate sort of ever retiring because I I love to get to do what I do. Uh, My strength will add. My roles will change. But I want to continue to serve God with the strength that I have. But we can sometimes want security. Or maybe that just having money and stuff will add meaning to my life. Now, please hear this before we get into the text. There's nothing wrong with planning. There's nothing wrong with prospering. And there's nothing wrong with saving. Okay? Actually, Proverbs commends all three. That you should plan. Prosperity is not a bad thing. And saving is not a bad thing. We can do those things. 
Uh, we can even enjoy, and we should enjoy, what God provides through money. However, we don't want to believe the lies that money tells us, because money is a horrible ruler. Money lies, and it can rule us in tyrannical ways. So, four truths today to liberate us from money's lies, and these are all right out of our text in Ecclesiastes chapter 5. First truth, money doesn't satisfy. Money doesn't satisfy. Look at verse 10 of chapter 5. He who loves money will not be satisfied with money, nor he who loves wealth with his income. This also is vanity. Now, this is God's authoritative word. We might have a different opinion that, well, you know what? If I had money, I think I might be satisfied with money. God's telling you, you won't. That is a lie. Money does not satisfy. So we're in Philadelphia here. I'm in Philly. So let me quote from a former Philadelphian, Ben Franklin. Ben Franklin said the following, money never made a man happy yet, nor will it. The more a man has, the more he wants. Instead of filling a vacuum, it actually makes one. Now, if I were to move ahead about 200 years, I could take you to John D. Rockefeller, who was, at that point, the world's first billionaire and the richest man in the world, sort of the Jeff Bezos of our time, who I just heard may be worth a trillion dollars soon, which is beyond imagination. But here's what they asked John D. Rockefeller, richest man in the world, world's first billionaire. When asked how much money is enough, here's how he answered. How much is enough? Just a little bit more. Just a little bit more. And you know what it's saying? Here's, here's what happens with money. The more you have, the more you want. The more you have, the more you tend to want. Theologian Derek uh, Kinder in his great um, commentary in Ecclesiastes said the following, if anything is worse than the addiction money brings, and think about addictions, right? Think about addictions, any kind of addiction. Addictions promise something, right? They're promising pleasure. They're promising a sense of life promising some security, some safety, maybe some escape from pressure. Addictions promise. That's why they're powerful. If anything is worse than the addiction money brings, it is the emptiness it leaves, which is also like addictions, isn't it? Addictions promise a lot. They lie, and yet they create emptiness at the end. So not only is it the more you have, the more you want, it's sort of the more you have, the less you're satisfied. So, Money doesn't satisfy. So what's the antidote? Well, we are meant to trust and treasure Christ. Anything else is what Scripture calls idolatry. Now, you might say idolatry, and you might be thinking statues, you know, idols, a little statue you bow down to. That, that's not how the Bible really defines idolatry. Idolatry is anything that we trust, uh, that we treasure, uh, that we desire more than God. That can be an idol for us. So if you trust something more than God, if you treasure it more than God, uh, if you serve it more than God, that's idolatry. And what Scripture tells us very clearly is that only God satisfies. Only God satisfies. Money will not satisfy. It will, it will end up leaving you empty. It's a false promise. It's a lie. 
but God does satisfy. Jesus in John 6.35 said the following, one of the great I am statements in the Gospel of John. And again, if you're maybe you're saying, boy, I'm, you know, I'm just tuning in and, and I'm not real familiar with the Bible, I'm not a Christian yet, John's a great place to read. This was a whole gospel written so that you might believe. And what you'll encounter in John is pictures of Jesus, who he is, what's he like, what's he talk about. You'll see his heart. But in John, there's these profound I am statements. These are self-revelations. This is where Jesus is describing himself to people. And one of the, one of the early self-revelations is in John 6.35, and it's this, this, I am the bread of life. And what he's saying there is, I am the one who sustains you, but I'm also the one who satisfies you. So I'm the sustainer of life, and I'm the satisfier of life. And in fact, eat of me every day, partake of me every day. Every day you will find me satisfying. Some things we, we do for a little bit, and they lose their satisfaction. But not God. The more we taste, the more we love, and the more it's fulfilling, and, and it just grows. So we have satisfaction in God. We are meant, you are, you are created in the image of God to know God and love God. And he is the one who satisfies. Augustine from time ago, long time ago, said the following, You have made us for yourself, O Lord. You have made us for ourselves. You have created us to know you. And then he goes on and says this, And our hearts are restless. Do you have a restless heart? And our hearts are restless. Maybe you've been trying to find something that would satisfy your heart. So you've looked here and looked there. Different things. Career. Money. Experience. I know. You have made us for yourself, O Lord, and our hearts are restless until they rest in you. If you know anything about Augustine's life, he was a man who tasted much of the world and found it unsatisfying. He was a man who indulged himself and only came only to come to an end of himself. And actually at one point overheard something from another conversation, someone speaking, that ultimately led him to Christ. Now I can tell you that, that God satisfies, but here's the reality. We need Jesus. We need Jesus to change us so we'll actually, that we'll actually do what's best for us. So I could tell you this for all time. Like, trust Jesus and, and you'll find satisfaction in Jesus. But actually, you need Jesus to do something in your life to do what's actually best for you. And this is where the gospel comes in. See, when I talk about the gospel, that idea that, that when Christ died for our sins, what he does is he, he brings us forgiveness. And all the burden that we carried in life, all that guilt, and whether we've tried to assuage that guilt and ignore that guilt, it's a nagging voice. But all that guilt that we were carrying, well, he, he brings forgiveness. So we're set free from the guilt. But he also comes to liberate us so that we don't live for things that are futile. That we don't waste our lives. That we actually live lives with meaning. So the gospel forgives us and sets us free from living for the wrong things, for living in futility. That is the great, uh, the great love of God in Christ. And we're set free to know him, to 
to love him, to desire him, to treasure him, to trust him, and to serve him. So number one, money, money does not satisfy. Which takes to our second point. Money doesn't provide security. So point number one, you find in verse 10, he who loves money will not be satisfied. And then money doesn't provide security. Verses 11 through 14. When goods increase, they increase who eat them. In other words, other people start to bite into your money. And what advantage has their owner but to see them with his eyes? Sweet is the sleep of a laborer when he eats a little or much, but the full stomach of the rich will not let him sleep. There is a, a grievous evil that I've seen under the sun. Riches were kept by their owner to his hurt. And those riches were lost in a bad venture. There are many stories of people who have had riches only to lose them in bad ventures. So money doesn't provide security, security to us. The person who has can indulge, overindulge, or the person who has can be fearful of losing what he has. But ultimately, it doesn't satisfy and it doesn't provide security. See, and there's a contrast here, really, between the worker who sort of sounds like he just has enough, barely enough. He works hard, goes home, eats maybe a little, maybe a lot, but he sleeps. Where the person with money actually goes home and there's anxiety. <laughs> and we can be anxious, right? We can be obsessed and anxious about what we do have or what we don't have. So there was a time in my life I didn't have. And again, why I wasn't anxious, I was angry. Now, I'm not rich today, but I, I, I'm more comfortable today. But we can worry about what we don't have, or we can worry about losing what we do have. I wonder how many people were fearful when this coronavirus hit, and they saw stock market prices plummet. And then you have all the effect of jobs. And, and just how that spins and kept and is still spinning to this day. Um, and the reality is this, right? Money can be easily lost. You know, there was a study they did. I think we all would like, boy, I'd love to win the, win the lottery. Lord, like, test me with the, you know, the test of prosperity. Um, and actually, there's warnings in that because more Christians tend to fail the test of prosperity uh, than the test of adversity. But there was a study of lottery winners. People had won at least a million dollars. So think about hitting the lottery for a million. Here's the reality. 70% of them were bankrupt within seven years. Money came easily and went easily. It did not provide security. And it doesn't, it actually doesn't bring peace. If you look at verse 17, it says this, Moreover, all his days he eats in darkness, in much vexation and sickness and anger. In other words, you have a man who's, who's God. He's hoarding. He doesn't want to lose. And actually, he lives with anxiety because of what he has, not for what he doesn't have. And I think the challenge of looking at money as something that brings us security or peace is we end up forgetting, we end up forgetting God's promises and God's faithfulness to his promises. Psalm, I love this psalm. It's Psalm 37, verse 25. It's written by David. It says the following, I have been young, and now I am old. Yet I have never seen the righteous forsaken or his children begging for bread. I'm 61 years old right now, and I can clearly testify that's absolutely true. It's absolutely true. For 61 years of my life, that has been absolutely true. 
my dad was in the military for 20 years. I, didn't, uh, I was born later in his life at that point, so he was out of the military. But he was unemployed at two different times. And yet, God, we did not have a lot as a family. But God always provided. Always. There was no meal I missed. God always provided. I've talked about my situation. And it was a challenging situation. We weren't rich. We aren't rich. But I've always seen God provide. And provide in miraculous ways. In fact, we don't have enough time. I give you story after story of miraculous provision. Prayer sometimes that we pray for two years for provision that would answer. Sometimes we didn't pray and provision was given. And I, and I have real stories. From small needs to car needs to house needs. Where God came in and miraculously provided. Now again, he gave what we needed, not always what I wanted. And so I had to have my needs redefined according to God's priorities and principles. But we don't want to forget God's promises and his faithfulness. Here's what I know through the coronavirus. God will be faithful to his beloved. God is a committed God. He's an unchanging God. He loves us. Nothing separates us from his love. And that gives us confidence to walk through trials. He's got purpose in trials. This seems to be spinning out of control, doesn't it? What are the experts saying? What are the politicians saying? What's going on? And and sometimes things change in perspectives. God is not surprised by any of this. He is sovereign over all of it. He He is on top watching and moving and moving the pieces. We don't understand how he's moving the pieces. Oh, but he's moving the pieces. And he's got a plan to bring history to conclusion and a plan for your personal history. Nothing's spinning out of control. God can look at the universe. He can look at a global pandemic. And he can look at every detail of your life. Smallest detail. Maybe some of you are stressed being home. It's like, love this home time. Love the family time. Need a break from the family time. God's watching that detail to that minutia. The private thoughts that you've had, the private things maybe you struggle with. He cares about it all. He's sovereign and he's working. He is stable when the world's shaking. And that's what we can trust. And so money will not provide security. God provides security in all things. So money doesn't satisfy. Money doesn't provide security. Third, money doesn't help our long-term future. Look at verses 15 and 16. This is God's word. It's all right here for us. So in verse 15 and 16, it says this, as he came from his mother's womb, he shall go again, naked as he came, and shall take nothing for his toil that he may carry it away in his hand. This is also a grievous evil. Just as he came, so shall he go. You know what that's simple? If you're saying, okay, what, what's that saying? You can't take it with you. You can't take it with you. Money does not help your future. This is the tragedy of the health and wealth prosperity gospel. They make it all about now. When really it's all about then. It's living faithfully now for the great long tomorrow. And money doesn't help us in that long tomorrow. In fact, the love of money not only endangers our future, it endangers our present, the love of money. Listen to what Paul writes in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 9 and 10. But those who desire to be rich, those who desire to be rich, 
fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. Read the headlines. It happens every day. For the love of money is a root, underground root. Don't see it always, but it emerges here, emerges there. The love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. The love of money endangers our souls. This is why money's lies are so destructive. This is why God's grace in Ecclesiastes is so sweet. He is trying to rescue us from believing that lie. He's trying to set us free from that lie. So money doesn't satisfy. It doesn't provide security. It doesn't help our long-term future. And finally, the gift of money, the gift of money, is really meant to turn us to God. This text doesn't end on a negative note. It's got warnings. And God loves us so much, he's willing to warn us. You know, everywhere you go right now, there's warning signs, aren't there? I do a lot of hiking in national parks. There's warning signs. Stay on the path. There was just a woman who was in Yellowstone Park, although it's closed, went off the path, ignored the warning signs, taking pictures of Old Faithful, and stepped into one of the sulfur things, one of the hot springs, and was burned. Signs are kind. God's giving us signs in this text to protect us, to save us, to put our feet on right and solid ground, things that that pandemics can't affect, stock market crashes can't affect. Unemployment statistics can't ultimately affect. Your bank account can't ultimately affect. I'm not saying those things are irrelevant, but when you get down to it, you have your feet on on rock, solid ground, because they are on Christ. But this text ends very positively. The gift of money is meant to turn us to God. Look in verses 18 through 20. Behold, what I have seen to be good and fitting is to eat and drink and find enjoyment in all the toil with which one toils under the sun, the few days of his life, number your days, that God has given him. For this is his lot. Everyone who also to whom God has given wealth and possessions and power to enjoy them and to accept his lot and rejoice in his toil, this is the gift of God. For he will not much remember the days of his life because God keeps him occupied with joy in his heart. There's two things that these last verses are saying to us. One, we can enjoy the gift. We can enjoy what God provides. And to truly enjoy is a gift from God. We should enjoy our family time. We should enjoy those things that God provides. The the beauty that God creates, he gives that to our enjoyment. So we enjoy the gift, but we rejoice in the giver. See, the purpose, the true purpose of gifts from God are to turn our attention to God. That's the true purpose. And sometimes, because actually life here can be good in America in this century, and we can say, it's good. 
Life is good. There's good gifts. There's family gifts. There's maybe prosperity gifts. There can be health gifts. There's security gifts. There's predictability gifts, typically. Travel gifts, entertainment gifts, hobby gifts. But those gifts are lousy to worship. They're lousy to have idolatrous thoughts over. So you know what those gifts are meant to do? Turn our attention to the giver. He's the one who gave. He's the one who gave. As now I'm an older man, I have grandchildren, there's not a time that goes by that I don't look at my 12 grandchildren and I don't thank God. They're a gift. They're a gift to me and to my wife, to their parents. But you know what? It turns my attention to God, you are so kind. You are so good. You are so faithful. I was so undeserving of the life I have, the life I get to live. And yet your kindness is beyond comprehension. You have loved a messy Christian, a stubborn Christian, a sometimes a, a stupid Christian, and you've loved me that way. And now you see these gifts as from your hand, and it, it just woos my attention to the Savior, to Jesus Christ. So enjoy the gifts God provides, but turn your attention to the giver. Folks, we want to be set free from the, the lies that money tells us, set free to enjoy God and to enjoy the gifts he provides. Let's pray.